Welcome to News in Context. I'm Gina Valeria. This is Civity Week on News in Context. Civity is an organization working to engage people across community and societal differences. Often differences involving power structures that can leave one group feeling left out or marginalized. Civity is also a concept, a culture of deliberately engaging in relationships of respect and empathy with those who are different. Once a month on News in Context, we focus on a Civity-based topic. Today, it's seeing. When we fail to see each other, that can lead to othering, marginalizing, and even violence. We've seen examples of this during the pandemic. For example, when some people othered Asian Americans by falsely accusing them of spreading the virus. In some cases, people were physically harmed. But we've also seen examples of seeing, such as appreciating healthcare workers, grocery store employees, delivery drivers, and other essential workers putting their lives on the line to help us. Today, we welcome Maka Capel and Palma Strand, co-founders of Civity. My goal here is to, you know, contextualize what it means to see, what it means to really notice the people around you. I actually had a a post from a friend of mine, Maria, that I reposted to our Civity Facebook. And she said that, you know, when she and her son go out now, they actually notice the people across the street. They wave, they acknowledge, they give room. And I've noticed that as well on the street. What's been your experience? Palma, I'm wondering if you can can start. I think that I agree with you that we are seeing people. Partly, there are fewer people out. And I definitely notice that people are you know, paying attention because of the six foot, paying attention to where people are just physically and then acknowledging people. So there is that element of seeing people and also seeing people in roles. We're seeing people whose jobs we encounter every day and who, you know, we walk by. You know, we don't really pay a lot of attention. People are kind of part of the scenery. And all of a sudden we're seeing delivery people who are bringing things to our doors or grocery people who are still showing up at at the grocery store behind the plastic shields and sometimes wearing the plastic face shields and wearing gloves, but showing up. We're, We're seeing people in a different way than I think we're used to. We're realizing how important people are and that helps us see them. Yeah. Malka, what's the potential outcome of us seeing? We are all in a way, being denied the opportunity to connect, and at least to connect in person, at least to connect in person up close. And I think that also fuels our interest in connecting, not just with those who are nearest and dearest, although I do miss my mother, but I'm also calling my mother more. And I'm calling people who I haven't called in years. And when uh, I walk down the street, as Palma said, I notice people more people who I don't know. I think that's what this pandemic is showing us. This moment is giving us the opportunity to value connection, to understand again the value of connection and the interconnectedness of our society, uh, the value of many people who keep our society going that maybe we didn't notice before. And I think the challenge for us, for Civity, is to make sure that this understanding continues, that it is sustained into the future. Right. Why is it important for us to value connection? What what is it about that that's that's so critical? The reason we started Civity uh, seven years ago is because uh, we saw the problems in society when you don't connect. And what happens if a large part of society does not connect or see another part of society that part becomes marginalized because of their race, because of what country they come from, because of their income level. 
and that becomes part of our system. So what's important is to break that chain, to change our culture, and the way to do that is for people to connect with each other. What we found, and science tells us this, is that the, the way to change how people feel about the other is to put them in relationship uh, with each other. And the good news is this relationship does not have to be for a long period of time. It can take as short a time as it takes to have a conversation. Palma, anything you want to add? All of us experience this personally, but I think when we do civity workshops and encourage people, the feedback we get is it's fun to connect with people and it's fun to have permission to connect with people that we often feel, oh, you know, they're different. Maybe I, I don't want to go there. I think that there's that personal validation and just reward of connecting. And at the kind of social level, connections are what hold us together as a community. Even the little connections with people that we pass on the street or people that we interact with, you know, getting, getting our coffee or that's part of what weaves us all together. And I mean, and we're realizing how, how life is really different without those connections and having those connections, we don't necessarily notice it, but that's what holds us together. Those connections lead to understanding of each other and a larger sense of, hey, you may be different from me and I may be different from you in many ways, as we all are very different from each other. And we are all in the same community. Yeah, great point. In this experience right now, this pandemic, I'm noticing the connection and that leads to a lot of gratefulness, a lot of thankfulness for the person who's risking their life to deliver my groceries, really, and how thankful I am. And I find myself saying I appreciate you all a lot more. I find myself asking, how can I help? Or how can I make this easier for you? For me, at the, at the same time that there's appreciation and gratefulness, I think I also feel a certain level of indignation that people who are on the front lines, as it were, are often not being taken care of by their employers, not being protected by things like leave, by things like, you know, having adequate protective gear and not being really a priority. And so I feel that sense of indignation that for a long time, this not seeing people has been leading to decisions that have led to people not having kind of a certain economic dignity that I think everybody everybody should have. Right. I have been so frustrated throughout this process. Wow, we really don't take care of each other. I sit, and I think all three of us sit from a slight position of privilege. So then my thoughts go toward, I really want to see and I want us all to see these people. I was actually having a conversation with my daughter this morning about privilege. And she was saying that in her school, people talk a lot about privilege, but they kind of stop there. Like I have privilege and and Sometimes they're guilty about it or ashamed of it, and then they stop. Um, but what you can do with that privilege is, at the very least, is you can see a broader society and try to understand and, and walk in other people's shoes. That is something that we can all do. It's an action, and it's, it's important. Another thing that we can do is we can talk to others about it, about what we see. And the stories that are being shared now they're being shared widely. It's not just about what I see, but it's about what other people are seeing and that I'm reading about. And we can share that with others and the importance of that. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big step that we can all take. It's true. And while we're a captive audience, you're right. I'm actually seeing more of these stories. 
as well and actually paying attention to them because I've got room in my life right now to do that. And I'm like, I need to carve out room in my life to always do that. What can seeing lead to? If we're seeing the people in our lives who are being treated with an economic indignity and who have been pushed to the margins and who are considered essential and yet what does essential really mean? It means service, right? So what can we do with this seeing? There's a great James Baldwin quote, which I don't have completely in my head, but it, but it basically is, you know, when you start realizing and you start seeing, the, the point isn't to feel guilty. The point is to feel responsibility. It's like once you see, and I think a lot of privilege is not just being advantaged, but kind of being able to not see things that are uncomfortable. And so once we see, then we're aware, then arises a sense of responsibilities. What can I do? What, what should I do? And as Malka said, you know, we all have spheres of influence. We all talk to people. And I think, Gina, I would, I would say that partly we need to make time to see these stories, but I don't think these stories appear all the time. I don't think that there are a lot of stories about grocery workers and delivery people in the ordinary course of events. And so it's like, why, why do we not hear more about people who are living lives that are a little bit more precarious than, than some of us? But I think that once we start to say it's important for people to have that kind of economic foundation that that's kind of just sort of common decency then i think that we start looking at things that have been happening since the pandemic started like so for example there are moratoriums on evictions so there's not enough affordable housing for people to go around so maybe we should build some more affordable housing so maybe we should start looking at things like um, providing leave for people um, paid leave uh, maybe we should start looking at figuring out how to provide health care for everybody these are basic things that once we start seeing people who don't have things and so many of us do these are kind of a floor not not a ceiling yeah and pulling in the stories uh, the counter stories of marginalized groups and we've talked about grocery workers of course healthcare workers the elderly the unsheltered population um, latinx and black communities which unfortunately by virtue of the fact that many of them are in these so-called quote essential jobs are on the line and at risk and seeing greater instances of infection than other communities there are so many communities that we're talking about right now, as you say, you're right, I'm not sure those narratives are always in our lexicon, but right now we're talking about them. That sort of leads me, though, into the idea of where all of this bumps up against politics. And we don't necessarily have to get political, but civity, one of the goals is to help connect across differences and divides and differences and divides of equity and of, of privilege and power structure. And sometimes this involves politics where you have, I mean, we, we can see some of the leadership in, in the Republican Party now saying, well, we don't want people to get used to these ideas, right? We don't want to put these in the long term. We just want to help people right now. So, you know, getting through the politics of it to really have the conversations, how might civity train people to have some of those kinds of conversations or to get at some of those issues? Well, one of the things we're doing now and that we've been doing since the beginning is we've been working with, with leaders in communities. These are leaders who have already shown an interest in change in policy change and in social change and are actively working for that. And what we're doing with them uh, or with, what they're doing with our help is taking the step before 
that policy conversation to create the space before that bill that they're trying to support or their that program that they're trying to move forward to say, okay, how can we uh, create space in our networks, in our uh, gatherings for people to see the people that we are talking about supporting with this policy or this program? What is stopping them from having the progress that they want to have is the us versus them. If we can enlarge the definition of us, then everything else that they're doing will be easier. Palma. I think that a lot of times when we think about politics, we think about what's happening at the national level, but there's a, a lot of politics and I would venture to say a lot more politics at the local level, you know, the state level too, but I'm really thinking of the local level. We work with local leaders primarily and local leaders are often about sort of making their communities better. You know, they might be affiliated with one party or another, and at the same time, they are really reaching across to various sectors of their community, to various parts of the community. And also at the local level, I think that the connection between relationships and politics is it's a lot closer in some ways. I mean, you, you, you live in a city or a, or a county or a community, and you, you might run into that person who's on the elected board at the grocery store, or you might have, have worked on that campaign or, or just, you know, been on the same soccer team or opposite soccer teams. And so, so those relationships feel, you know, it's like we're part of the same community. And, and, and I think it's just much more organic. Um, so, so maybe we could take that as our model rather than what we see at the, at the national level. It's not just politics with a capital P either. As Palma said, a lot of our local partners are they're involved in programs. The Redwood City Library, for example, they are um, creating programs to support people who need the social safety net strengthened. They have uh, what they call social service office hours that they have, where they have people who in the library who are available if, if library patrons need their help. Uh, we're working with the University uh, YMCA in Champaign, Illinois, uh, that has created a New American Welcome Center to help immigrants and refugees, you know, get the services they need, come into a, a more welcoming society, building community for them and for other members of the Urbana-Champaign community. This isn't politics with a capital P, uh, but it's extremely important and relevant to the people, the communities that the library and the YMCA are trying to help. There, there are certainly politics around and policies of those communities, but there are also things that, that they can do right now to help them. I want to go back to that idea of the moment before, which I think people, we, I will include myself, tend to skip, right? Which was a really excellent point, Malka. And Palma, you gave a great example of, oh, yeah, we're, our kids are on the same soccer team, so I got to deal with you. And I know you're kind of a decent human being, and we disagree, and all of a sudden we start from a different place. So that, whether it's organic or whether an organization like Civity comes in and helps grow that inside a community, you're right, it's such a foundational piece of the weave before we can even get to the rest of it. And I think you're right, at the national level, we jump to the rest of it without really building that. Palma. You know, the moment before in this question of relationship is, is one of the reasons why stories are so important and why, why so much of our work focuses on stories. Because, you know, when you say, well, I agree with you or I don't agree with you, it's very easy to get into that, you know, yes, no, yes, no mode. But when I ask you, you know, where are you coming from? 
usually there's like a human story behind the how you got to that position that I really can't agree with, but that I can see something of myself or something that seems familiar to me in that story of how you got there. And so if we're if we're focusing on kind of making ourselves and other people kind of more complex for each other, we're not reducing to that, you know, yes, no dynamic. We're we're sort of seeing yeah, okay, so there's part of you that I really don't agree with, but there's this common thread of kind of shared humanity that, yeah, okay, you're, we're part of the same community. And, and that creates the space for finding areas of commonality as well as difference. We're talking with Civity co-founders Malka Capel and Palma Strand about the importance of seeing. You know, one of the things that Stymie's policy is uh, promoting these uh, one-dimensional differences between people in our civity workshop, we do have uh, exercises where people find common ground, but we also include a set of exercises for what we call putting difference on the table. Because these differences, uh, they do exist, but the, as Palma said, they're not the only thing uh, about the other person. And I think if we can make people see that uh, the differences between people are many, and as Palma said, more, it's more complicated than that, if we can enable ourselves to see others as just as complicated as we are, that can help provide a counter narrative to the uh, we are all separated by these three or four differences. Absolutely. And I think seeing someone's humanity is is so important. The language we use, I think, also matters. To go back to the Redwood City, California Public Library, they surveyed their community year or two back and they didn't ask, what do you want to see from your library? Because there's a set of expectations about what a library is. They asked, what do you want to see from your community? That changed the whole context of the response. Palma, you had something you wanted to add. Another aspect of putting difference on the table that is important is that some of these differences that we shy away from, like race or immigration status or you know disability or some of our histories, these are really, really important parts of people's identities. And if they're not on the table, then it's sort of like, well, we're saying, we can't talk about race, for example, but race is a huge part of what makes somebody who they are in this country. And to kind of not see that is in a sense of a different kind of privilege. And so, so putting difference on the table is another way of saying, I see you. Yeah. And I see you really matters because it's true. When you say we can't talk about your race, you're saying we can't talk about me and we can't, can't talk about everything that matters to me. Be just being open. If you're in the privileged position, all right, I am just going to shut my mouth and I'm going to listen. Uh, no matter what my feelings are about it, I'm going to allow this person to be their full selves in front of me. And let's just kind of see where that goes. And I think that being open, that is something that I am seeing at this crazy time. A lot of people are knocked sideways a little bit. Some are hurt deeply, uh, but many of us are, we're just trying to deal. And that leaves us open a little bit more, it leaves us a little more vulnerable. Perhaps it provides a moment for us to be able to listen better. In our workshops, we have one-on-one -on -one conversations, and it's important uh, to not only listen to someone else's story, but in these conversations to be able to share your own story. We find that if, if both people in the conversation are sharing, there's a vulnerability. Each person has a chance to be vulnerable because it is, it's sometimes it's hard to share your own story. And this combined vulnerability allows both people in the conversation to get to a different point 
of understanding much quicker, I think, than if it was just an interview, for example. I do want to talk about, Maka, something you just said. You said we're in a moment right now where we're all primed to see. We will eventually move forward. One of my biggest concerns is based on our history, our recent history, I guess, how do we move forward? The example that really looms large for me is the Sandy Hook elementary school shooting. That was a moment for me where I thought, if not that, if, if that did not change our conversation about guns, if we weren't really able to have that conversation then, thank God for organizations like Civity and others who are trying to help us have this conversation now. So what do we do moving forward as this becomes just another piece of our history as we move forward and through this and things slowly start to become whatever they become? How do we do this? I think that like Sandy Hook, like the pandemic to our whole nation, there are sort of like somebody taking an individual and kind of like shaking you by the shoulders and saying, wake up, right? And, and once you wake up, there is a moment where it's like, what direction are we going to go? That is the moment we're in. It's like, okay, so we're seeing what, what are we going to do? And so that question is, where do we, where do we go with that? That's kind of why, why we started Civity in, in the beginning is because we felt that people were not seeing each other, that people needed to, that we would be better as a community, we'd be better as a society, we'd have better policies if, if we, in fact, were seeing each other rather than sort of being in the practice of not seeing each other. How can we do that? We can continue to be in relationship, to do the work of Civity, to trace the connections between seeing people and the kinds of collective stories that we tell and the collective decisions that we make. And, and that sounds fuzzy, but it's really not. Because when we collectively say, well, wait a minute, people aren't getting, we need, we need relief checks. Things happen. Things happen quickly when the story is that they need to happen. Um, but that hasn't been the story. The Go change ahead. that we're talking about, it, it's a deep change. It's a cultural change. And that's why it can't be just a series of one-offs. You know, I'm concerned about the same thing that you are, Gina, that, that after this moment, uh, we'll go back to the way we were. We're all concerned about that. That's why it needs to be deeper than just what happens now. It needs to, and it, it has to go beyond just me or you. Uh, it needs to be part of our culture. I've been reading a lot of history over the course of the pandemic. And I think that part of the reason that this not seeing in our country it is due to some of the differences that civity puts on the table. It's due to race. It's due to immigration. That, that when the going gets tough, we, we slide right back to, oh, othering those people because they don't matter and we're not going to see them. So shifting that dynamic is, is critical if we're going to come out of this and, going, and go in a different direction. At the same time that we see our grocery workers and our delivery drivers and the elderly, we as a society have been also othering Asians based on this false premise that somehow they're responsible for that. You know, that's happening concurrently with this sort of growth of, of seeing. You're right that we can deliberately do this. I think a lot of people don't know how and a lot of people don't realize that they need to. What are some of our other partners doing to help in, in this process, in this transition? Our partners is is Welcoming America, national international organization that promotes and supports policies for immigrants and refugees. And they have uh, welcoming communities where they are in partnership with 
organizations that are there, like the YMCA in, in Urbana-Champaign. Many of their partners are public agencies as well. What most of our partners are doing right now is they are uh, on the front lines trying to provide basic support uh, to these communities. We're working with them to, again, have the conversation before the conversation so that the communities that they're working with right now and the larger communities where immigrants and refugees are living see uh, not only today, but in the future, what their whole community looks like. Well, one of the things that's coming up, a Welcoming America program is Welcoming Week in September. So we are working uh, with our partners around the country now to integrate uh, these connection uh, opportunities into Welcoming Week. Uh, so that not only the immigrants and refugees that they're working with directly, so that the larger community has a chance to have these conversations. And they'll happen either in person, if that is possible, or uh, virtually, if that's what the situation looks like in September. So I think our partners are they're looking ahead as well as providing uh, for immediate needs. Another example, are, we've been working with the Redwood City Library and other libraries uh, to put on a human library event where people identify as book titles and other people uh, check them out for conversations. Those conversations have been happening in person, but they don't have to. Uh, they could happen in a video chat. Uh, it's possible uh, that that might make it even easier to happen for both for the human books and for the, for the human readers. Those human library conversations are a direct experience of putting difference on the table. And we find that people are really interested in having that kind of conversation, where the difference is identified, where it's in a relatively comfortable, safe environment, because uh, people are really curious and want to understand other people. What can our leaders and average people do to check their privilege and meaningfully help those outside the mainstream? The question is not how can people check their privilege, but how can people use their privilege Ooh, in yeah. this situation? And you know, there are a few things you can do. You can help other people see the stories that you are seeing, uh, including your friends. Uh, we're all leaders in our communities. We can reach out to colleagues, other groups that we're involved with. We can spread that word to many, many people. So spread the word. Um, we can also help directly through our own giving back uh, and encourage others to do the same. This is a moment many people are asking, how can I help and who can, who can I help? We can be part of that conversation and that action. And then we can also support the policies that will enable the system change that will hopefully change some of the structures that cause this problem in the first place. Palma, anything to add? We sort of get used to thinking that things aren't possible, that there's sort of a situation of scarcity, that it's a either or. It's like this is possible, but only if that's not possible. And a number of years ago, my husband and I went to a, an exhibit of photographs at a, one of the museums in Washington. I think it might have been the Corcoran. And it was a series of photographs of African-American women. And it was called, I Dream a World. For some reason, that, that phrase has come back to me just recently, that rather than saying, we can't do this, we can't do that, to sort of, I think one of the things we can do is to dream a world. It's like, what would a world look like where we cared about building affordable housing for people? What, like, what would a world look like? How can we make that happen? How can we create the resources for it rather than we can't? And I think that we're all in a moment right now. You know, we've woken up, we've been shaken up a little bit. What is the world that we want to dream? 
And how can we move towards that and be in conversation with each other about what that looks like and what that means? I mean, to me, that's a really exciting, engaging place to be uh, rather than in this hunkered down mode that I think we kind of tend to to be. Thank you. That is beautiful. One of the barriers uh, that we come across when we're talking about, you know, the change that we want to see, the culture that we want to create is it's really hard for people to change. You know, okay, I'm with you, but I'm not sure that others will change. One of the things that this moment shows us is we've gone through a lot of change as a a country, as a world, very quickly. (laughs) So yeah, we can change. We can very quickly and at a very, very huge level. We have seen a lot of things happen that we did not think were possible. I would totally echo what Malka said. And I would also say that change is growth. Growth is resilience. You know, it doesn't necessarily feel good, but, but this is where learning growth and resilience happen is in this place of where we, we don't really quite have our footing secure and we're trying to figure out what direction we're going to go and how, how, how to get that footing moving forward. It's an exciting place as well as a really daunting place. Thank you, Palma and Malka, so, so very much. Thank you, Gina. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. You too, you too. You have been listening to News in Context, this week with Civity co-founders Malka Capel and Palma Strand. Music in this episode includes Spring Fling by Track Tribe and The Heist by Silent Partner. In addition to hearing News in Context every Friday at 8.30 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on KSFP 102.5 in San Francisco, you can hear it on your favorite podcast channel. We're also on Twitter at News in Context SF, and you can find links to all of that at newsincontext.net. I'm Gina Valeria. Thank you for listening.